you will never forget its beautiful commandant. The bloody butcher the Nazis called Ilsa. She-wolf of the SS. Because of the shocking nature of many scenes in this film, it is definitely not recommended for the squeamish or easily offended. Coming up on WKNU's Saturday Creature Features, we have Rob Zombie's Hellbilly Deluxe. Well, it's Thursday, and you're listening to another episode of Days of the New. I'm Nick, joined by my co-host, Kevin. What's going on, Kevin? Nick, I have been working for the week. That's right. I need to issue a correction right here and right now that what you are listening to is Working for the Weekend by Loverboy, not Rick Springfield. My apologies to Loverboy and all Loverboy fans. Have you seen what the lead singer Loverboy looks like these uh, days? No, I wouldn't have recognized him in those days. Yeah, well, uh, t- take a quick peek at how he's doing. All right. Mike Reno, Loverboy. Holy shit, he looks like Smash Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> like all of Smash Mouth. Every member he of Smash Mouth. everybody in Smash Mouth. <laughs> at, at, at every point, it looks like he's actively melting. Yeah, and farting. <laughs> It looks like he can't stop farting, but every fart melts him. <laughs> uh, we'll throw that on the Instagram. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. What are we talking about today? Uh, well, we're gathered here today to tell the story of Hellbilly Deluxe, the first solo album by Rob Zombie. A.K.A. the third best white zombie album. I, I think it might be. Yeah, yeah, that's probably accurate. I like it, though. Oh, I, I love this album, but let me ask you this. What role did like White Zombie play in your music? Uh, same as most heavy music, an older kid played it at like Sunday school or some church function, and more human than her. Human was the first one I ever heard, and uh, I believe it was described to me as devil music, in which I thought that sounded kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I, for me, I went the route of uh, Beavis and Butthead introduced yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna to, get into some yeah. of that. White Zombie was huge, a huge part of my youth. So. This is kind of like a, this is a weird album for me. It's an album that I love, but also not as much as White Zombie. Yeah, I mean, I do think that for me, like White Zombie is kind of just like the the hits and like White Zombie existed when we're going to talk about it, like way more than any of us were aware. Like they were around for Mm -hmm. a real long time and did nothing. And then they ended up having like three singles. Uh, Meanwhile, I think that like obviously Rob Zombie has ended up with like the better career and the rest of those guys Mm -hmm. are just gone. Um, yeah, I, I think they're selling. Real yeah, estate yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's, uh, let's, yeah. Uh, tell me what I cool. need to know. So, born on January 12th, 1965 in Haverhill, Massachusetts, Robert Bartlett Cummings came into this world as a carny. I'm serious. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm serious. From, from an no. article on uh, contactmusic.com. 
Zombie describes how he grew up in the traveling circus. After a gang of angry bikers set all the carny tents on fire after being cheated in a sideshow ruse, the family had to take off in the middle of the night. In Zombie's words, everybody's pulling out guns and you could hear guns going off. I remember this one guy we knew, he was telling us where to go and some guy just ran out to him and hit him in the face with a hammer, just busted his whole face wide open. My parents packed up real quick and we took off. I think at that moment they were like, okay, new plan. That actually sounds entirely Well, it sounds like his whole existence just was forged in that moment. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you do not become an accountant after that. You do not get your CPA. Did I I tell you I almost ran away with the... uh, No, no, go go ahead, though. Our our listeners definitely would like to hear this. Yeah, I I dropped acid and went to the Dixie Classic Fair in uh, North Carolina. (laughs) I just turned 18. And I was not happy with my station in life. And there was a sign next to the Gravitron looking for seasonal employees, uh, must be willing to travel. And like, uh, I think it was $15 an hour, which I mean, even by my back. I mean, yeah, that would have been 19 or 2000, 2001. Yeah, that's 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 pretty good. Yeah, that's what I thought. So I mean, that's um, like $30 an hour today. (laughs) Yeah, right. So my brain is just swimming with hallucinogens, and I approach the uh, the guy near the sign operating the Gravitron, and he's just, you know, cigarette dangling out of his mouth. Just picture a carny. That's what the carny looks like. That's what he looks like. Just picture any, whatever, uh, when you close your eyes, whatever you think of when you think of a carny, that was this dude. And I just start asking him about, like, what is your day like? And as he starts telling me, well, you know, I mean, we get into the uh, we get into the Winnebago, and uh, you know you, you start at like five a.m. and you go till about you know uh, three a.m. and uh, you know but we party, man, we party, and uh, it's uh, you know I'll tell you what, man, you get so you get some fine box and so many and <laughs> as he's telling me all this, like even high out of my mind, I was like, this sounds like hell. And I just broke away and like, I think like the paranoia made it worse. And it was just like, you need to go to college, like yeah. get out yeah, of there. I don't want to be this man. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but there, there was a minute there, there was a brief 15 minutes, uh, back in the year 2000 in, in an alternate universe. I'm breaking into your house to steal your television right yeah, now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just a collection of catalytic converters in, uh, in whatever <laughs> tent shanty you're living in. But yeah, anyway. sorry. That was a brief aside. That was a brief aside. <laughs> so, so Rob did graduate from high school in 1983 in the same town he was born in. So I do cast a little skepticism on the traveling carny claim. It's seasonal, uh, though, as I found that's out. True. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it does. It, it makes too much sense. So whatever. Yeah. He uh, he made his way to New York City and he attended the Pratt Institute, uh, the private college that boasts alumni like actor Robert Redford. Fashion designer Betsy Johnson, Jughead comics penciler Sam Schwartz, and racist slumlord Fred Trump, father of the 45th president of the United States. Holy shit. From there, he became a bike messenger, and then in an almost perfect situation, he became a production assistant on Pee Wee's Playhouse. This is the most Rob Zombie origin story I've ever heard. Yeah, Uh, and then after that, he did graphic design for a porno mag. So like it just all just ties in. Of course yeah, and that that's that's the end of his like jobs before he started focusing on white zombie full time. 
Also, it's amazing that porno mags have graphic designers. Um, yeah, somebody was like, so what, are you like putting cool images? And he's like, oh, no, I just had to make sure that the, the middle of the vaginas weren't on like the staples. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's a long lost start. Yeah, and if this is all fake, it's a perfect origin story. Because like the only thing that can come from this background is to be just a hard rock superhero in a Dr. Seuss leather hat. (laughs) (laughs) There's no other way that your life could turn out anything other than being Rob. While at Pratt, all right, I don't know how to say her name. What is Sean's, Yisult? Yisult, that's how I've always done it. Uh, Apologies. Yeah, I was going to ask Kevin to edit it, but since neither one of us know the name. Rob met Sean Yisult who was a lady named Sean, and the two began to date and then formed the band White Zombie, taking the name from a 1932 Bela Lugosi film. White Zombie released several albums, the first few, Gods on Voodoo Moon, Pig Heaven, and Psycho Head Blowout didn't do too much. Uh, but their no, they no. Uh, but their first full-length Soul Crusher got them a deal with Caroline Records, uh, home to the Smashing Pumpkins, amongst others. At that time, yeah, Caroline Caroline had a strong roster back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you went back, it's pretty sick. Caroline then put out their next full-length, Make Them Die Slowly, which got them mm-hmm. on the radar of Geffen Records. Uh, which is obviously a major label, and that's that's the big time. Geffen put out their next album, La Sexorcisto Devil Music Volume 1, in 1992 with singles of Thunderkiss 65 and Black Sunshine, and immediately put them on the road where they played shows with Pantera, Caius, Danzig, Quicksand, Megadeth, and Sepultura, amongst others. Yeah, dude, that was my introduction to White Zombie, and that album was my everything. Yeah, it's pretty sick. I mean, this is when Rob became Rob Zombie. Previously on all the other records, he performed under the name Rob Straker, which, you know, his last name is Cummings, so I don't know what the Straker is in reference to. I couldn't really find anything. In my research, I went back and listened to some of those albums. I think like the farthest back I'd ever gone in White Zombie's catalog was Make Them Die Slowly, which is kind of a snoozer, but I had no idea about any of these like earlier EPs until streaming came about. So I listened to Psychohead Blowout, and when you think Rob Zombie, there is a voice. There is the Rob Zombie voice. For sure. This ain't that. This is uh, from the song 88 off of uh, Psychohead Blowout. This is like New York art school bullshit. That's exactly what it is. It's not no, metal. No, no, it's not. It's like noise rock. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's exactly what it is. It's very of the times. So the fact that he changed his vocal delivery and they matured their style into what it is, I think is super interesting. Yeah, that's a great call out. So at this point, they started doing these, these tours and the first singles from this album made it into heavy rotation on MTV's Headbangers Ball. And it was launched into popularity by Beavis and Butthead. Uh, so yeah. let's go ahead and play that clip. Cool. I'm gonna get some clothes like that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> These guys get on the chick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this band is cool. <laughs>
come these guys are never on TV? <laughs> they should play this video all day long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, you get the gist. Uh, and the boys were correct. Thunder 665 absolutely rules. That was the ringing endorsement that I needed. Like, Beavis and Butthead brought White Zombie to me. I convinced my parents to get me this album pretty much after that aired. And it blew my mind. In researching this episode, I went back, and it's still, track for track, is just an amazing album. Yeah, and, and, the, and the band uh, exploded at this point. Uh, they had a song on yep. the Airhead soundtrack on the Beavis and Butthead Experience album, and uh, they were also on a pretty popular Black Sabbath covers album at the time. Fuck yeah, yeah I had the that Nativity one. And Black. Nativity and yeah. Black. Yeah. Um, and then all three of those tracks got radio airplay as well, in addition to um, Thunderkiss 65. Uh, so pretty cool. In 1994, the band entered the studio to record their most famous album, Astro Creep 2000, Songs of Love, yes. Destruction, and Other Synthetic Delusions of the Electric Head. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's going to be more of that. Um, <laughs> this album featured future Rob Zombie solo act band member John Tempesta on the drums, previously known from uh, thrash metal bands Exodus and Testament. Yeah, amazing drummer. Oh, amazing yeah, so good. Drummer. And then uh, this album featured the mega hit uh, More Human Than Human, a song that I previously mentioned I heard first played by an older kid at some church event. So thanks, dude. Yeah, big shout out to church camps. Like, I think more kids should attend church camps so we get more metal. Yeah, ones. and, you know, also so they can, like, start smoking and, you know, drinking yeah. beer and all the things that people do at church camp. Yeah, the best thing you can do to foster a new age of delinquents, send your kids to yeah, church camp. Man. It worked for me. Astro Creep. I loved Astro Creep. Like every other kid my age. I don't have a ton of notes about it because I want to leave us room in case we want to sure. break that album down at some point. That's a great uh, idea. Because that's not the album we're here to talk about today. No, sir. So at this point, for reasons never really spoken about, um, White Zombie came to an end and the Rob Zombie era started. On August 25th, 1998, Rob Zombie's first solo album, Hellbilly Deluxe, 13 Tales of Cadaverous Cavorting Inside the Spook Show International... Uh, was released on Geffen Records. Rob Zombie gives fucking Fall Out Boy a run for their money in absolutely <laughs> ridiculously long songs. Yeah, files. I think that's an excellent call out. <laughs> the album would debut at number five on the Billboard 200 mm -hmm. and has gone triple platinum in the United States. This album was produced by Rob and Scott Humphrey, but Nine Inch Nails' Charlie Clouser was also involved. Scott Humphrey is perhaps best known for producing the truly terrible Generation Swine record for Motley Crue. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. That was their, like, hey, we're grunge now. Or we're and something. industrial. Yeah. Oh, yeah, fuck, it was I like, forgot about shit, that. hair metal's not cool. Let's take all the sounds that are cool in heavier music and try and be that. Yep. Oh, wow. Man, that yeah. album sucked. Yeah, yeah. They actually... Um, have you seen any of that Pam and Tommy show on Hulu? I just started watching it, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good watch, but there's actually a scene where they're, like, trying to perform songs from uh, from Generation Swine outside of, like, Tower Records or whatever. And uh, all these kids in, like, Rage Against the Machine and Radiohead shirts are just, like, scowling at them. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. Anyway, the band on this record consisted of Mike Riggs, uh, formerly of Screw and Prong on mm -hmm. guitar. And on the tour for this record, Riggs would play a hollow acrylic Fernandez electric guitar that he would fill with blood and pour all over himself during the set. 
which was the coolest shit ever. Yeah. I got to see that shit in real life, and it was oh. awesome. He would drink it, and then he would throw up the blood. Uh, yeah, and currently, he still plays a Fernandez guitar that is wrapped in pig leather. Like, like pig skin. It doesn't look like a football. It looks like skin. It's got, like, veins and shit. And he, like, tattoos it. It's <laughs> crazy as shit. Um, and then uh, former white zombie drummer, as we mentioned, John Tempesta was on drums. Mm-hmm. Drums. And then um, Rob Blasco Nicholson played bass. And Blasco is kind of a nobody before zombie, but he's currently in Ozzy Osbourne's band, and he's the manager of Black Veil Brides. No shit. Yeah, weird, right? Very. Huh. Two of those bands are good. (laughs) (laughs) So this album is a wild ride of heavy guitars, pounding rhythms, and horror movie samples. And for the most part, I love it. Yep, I I love it too. I... As we stated on the Cribs episode, zombie can get a bit exhausting. Yeah, you can't take them too seriously. I think that's actually the call out here. This is Halloween music. This isn't like, if Rob Zombie is your favorite musician, you got to listen to more music. But if you just want to like turn something up loud and like have a good time at the car, this album does it. This is not music you listen to in August. Like when when October rolls around, I'm throwing this fucking album on. Because it rolls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. So the album opens with uh, Call of the Zombie, mm-hmm. which is not so much a song as an intro. So we're just going to play it because it's not very long. And uh, I think it sets the tone for Rob and the record and where he was at at this point in time. And out of the darkness, the zombie did call. True pain and suffering he brought to them all. Away ran the children to hide in their beds for fear that the devil would chop off their heads. all right so that's one way to start an album no shit in my research and you may touch on this uh i had no idea that this was sherry moon zombie reading well so i didn't know who sherry moon zombie was at the time so Mm -hmm. sherry moon was um a like dancer they took on tour yeah. Um, and uh, her and Rob dated for a really, really long time. They're, they're married now, but he's made her like the star of many of his feature films. And that is definitely her voice um, leading that off. Yeah, this is uh, the beginning of a theme in Rob Zombie's career of using any and every opportunity to show off Sherry Moon Zombie. He's like, check out my slam piece. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but to be fair, like, she's kind of cool and kind of sexy and also probably the only other human in the world that really gets what he's doing. Yeah, you would have to be. Sherry Moon Zombie makes me believe that there's somebody out there for everyone. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. So the next song is Super Beast. And this song both rules, while also I have no idea what it's about. So on the website whosample.com, uh, apparently Super Beast samples the white zombie track Feed the Gods, which was the one that appeared on the Airhead soundtrack. So they... Uh, Wait, they sampled their own song? Yes, yes. Oh, wow. So what precisely was sampled? All right, now let's listen to Super Beast. Beast. 
hey, yeah, that's what yeah. was simp. Yeah, but that's the zombie thing. I have a note that says the hey, yeah thing. That's just a part of zombie music. On this album, I have counted all the hey's and yeah's. And as we go track by track, I will let you know how many hey's and yeah's. I approve of it. For Super Beast, we have 12 hey's and 12 yeah's. Hey, keep it symmetrical. <laughs> the song has super heavy guitars, but fun electronic elements. It's mixed really, really well. It's got a lot of sound effects, and the guitar work is pretty sweet. I honestly have nothing bad to say about this song. One thing that did jump out to me on first listen was Zombie's voice is no longer buried in the mix. One of the things about White Zombie was that, like, a lot of times his voice was almost like in the background and like mixed at the same level as the guitars and uh, the bass and the drums and all the samples. Uh, he's definitely got more confidence in his vocal delivery, and you're going to see that throughout this entire album. Yeah, solid call out. The next song on the album is uh, Dragula, Zombie's most recognizable song, probably aside from More Human Than Human. The song opens up with a clip from the 1960 horror film, The City of the Dead. It follows the same kind of formula of pounding drums, heavy guitars. And funny enough, it was one of the last songs recorded in the session for this album, and it almost didn't make the cut. Really? I don't think this album would have been as good if this song wasn't on it. I never realized how much of an industrial influence there was on this album. Like... He's got, like, you mentioned Charlie Closer earlier, uh, but he's got, like, some of the biggest names in industrial music. Like, Danny Lohner, who was a huge collaborator with Trent Reznor on, like, some of his biggest albums, The Downward Spiral, Fragile, you know, Marilyn Manson's Antichrist Superstar. Like, that guy's resume is, for classic industrial albums, is a mile long, and he contributes a lot to this. So it's not so much that overpowers it. it's like oh this is an industrial album but like a lot of the programming and uh triggers and everything in there it's very clear that this might have been where white zombie was going and i've read in some interviews that that's what might have broken up the band is really yeah he wanted to go in a direction that was not metal in the sense of you know la, la sexorcisto okay well i mean good because this is cool yeah, yeah. And I mean, White Zombie never strayed away from remixes. Like, even on La Sexorcisto, they had a KMFDM remix a couple tracks. And White Zombie's last album was a remix album. Yeah. Uh, so That's I true. think, yeah, I think that this is definitely Rob's vision of where he wanted White Zombie to go. Yeah, well, and, and I'm glad that, that he got, you know, I mean, there's a lot of sadness and, you know, talking about how he hasn't talked to, like, Sean and uh, the guitar player from White Zombie in, like, 20 mm -hmm. years. And, like, mm -hmm. I hate to hear shit like that. It's always kind of a bummer. Their original um, drummer died, I believe. Their original did, but then he brought in John Tapesta. Yeah. Uh, for their good albums. <laughs> so anyway, this song uh, features the lyric, dig through the ditches and burn through the witches and slam in the back of my Dragula. And the Dragula is uh, a reference to an episode of The Munsters called Hot Rod Herman. Here's a clip where Herman is dressed like he's heading down to Leather Night at the Blue Oyster <laughs> in a jacket that says The Punk Rods on the back. Uh, here we go. I'm all stoked up and ready to go. Well, there he is, my son-in-law, the 150-year-old teenage punk. Herman? Herman? I, I wish you wouldn't do this. 
uh, I just can't uh, fight it, chick. I uh, gotta get out there and drag it with the gases. Uh, otherwise, dollar might blow by cool. But I do miss that era of television where everyone was obviously drunk. Like, <laughs> did you know that Grandpa Monster was like an epic, like radicalized socialist until the day that he dies? Like he fought for like labor rights in Hollywood and shit. I had no idea. Yeah, that's like, amazing. He's super rad. Wow. Yeah. No. Like it's obvious everybody's just loaded during all these shows. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, Herman's car was called the Dragula, mm-hmm. and uh, the original Dragula is a staple at rockabilly festivals and car shows around the country. And uh, we'll go ahead and throw that picture of me posing next to it on the Instagram. <laughs> yeah, the, I had no idea how small the Dragula was. The Dragula is tiny. They're slamming for one in a Dragula. Yeah, yeah, it's a solo slam. <laughs> All right, so the next track uh, is perhaps... The weirdest song ever to be on heavy rotation in the strip club, Living Dead Girl. <laughs> this might be the most boring track on the album for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't love it. It's definitely not the most creative, but it was the second single from the album, and it features a ton of throwbacks to classic horror movies. Oh, yeah. The lyrics, Goldfoot's machine created another field so beautiful they make you kill, is literally a reference to a Vincent Price villain in the 1965 film Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine and its follow-up film Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. Jesus. Uh, I also note that we have uh, samples from Daughters of Darkness, Lady Frankenstein, and Last House on the Left. Yeah, and the lyric, Operation Filth, They Love to Love the Wealth of an SS Whore Making Scary Sounds, is a reference to the lead-in to this episode of this show, the 1974 film Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS. (sighs) We get it, Robert. We get it. (laughs) We get it. There's, There's subtleties at the fucking window. Robert. We understand. So let's just skip through it into the next one, uh, Perversion 99. It sounds like a haunted version of the Mad Men theme song. <laughs> yeah, I my note is uh, it, it sounds like uh, on-hold music for the customer service call center in hell. <laughs> well, let's just play a clip of it so yeah. people understand what the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> Your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line. And a representative. Coo, 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 cha, 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 cha. Anyway, you get it. <laughs> to complete a survey after this call, please <laughs> type six 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 on your touchstone device. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, just um, we we've got to make it an LP, so throw that shit on. Yeah, and I don't hate it though. Like, I think it's, I mean, it's filler, but it's fun. Yeah, yeah. It is we fun. we listen to a lot of filler on this show that's just god awful and like. I don't mind that little bongo conga hellscape. No, it's nice. Uh, Speaking of filler, um, the next song is called Demonoid Phenomenon. The hay counter on this one, we're getting 26 haze. 
Well, yeah, because there's the, all the other words I think are about necrophilia. So. Oh. Yeah. Oh no, it's definitely about fucking dead people. Yeah, the lyric is "Get it out, get it on, violator, desecrator, turn around and meet the hater." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a cringy listen. The guitars sound like something you'd hear on Antichrist Superstar, and I'm not mad about that. There's so many parallels, I think, because he enlisted a lot of the same people. You're getting a very of the time Marilyn Manson Nine Inch Nails sound. My uh, my other theory also is that this is one of those things where like he got a record deal and he had to put a bunch of songs together, but he hadn't written a bunch of songs. Mm-hmm. And in post, I think they just stuck a bunch of shit together. You think so? And like turned them into songs. Yeah. I just don't think he ro- sat down and was like, okay, get it out, get it out. Like, it just sounds like scrap lyrics that they were like just stuck in place. And like the song after that's no different. Spook Show Baby. Our yeah counter. We're clocking it at eight yes. Yeah. And uh, she's a killer. She's a thriller. This song is filler. <laughs> I, okay. The <laughs> lyrics are absolute garbage, but I like. Them. From a musicianship point, like, this might be one of my favorite songs on the album. Really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I still think it's fun because, I, as I mentioned, even I think the filler album or the filler songs in this album are fun. But, yeah, it's not one of my favorites. But, you know, that's all right. We can have different opinions, buddy. Absolutely. That's just uh, good podcasting. The next song, uh, How to Make a Monster. For me, this is the worst song on the album. This may be a good song, but I have no fucking idea because the volume is turned down so yeah. low. On the actual song, it sounds like it's being played two blocks away. Yeah, it sounds like it's, it's, he's holding his phone up to a microphone. Yeah, why? 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 It could be a very good song. Yeah, well, it does have a uh, it has a brain insane trope, you know, mm. as we've talked about. We have uh, roots in hell and only time will tell if your baby is insane. A child bride with bloody eyes got Satan on the brain. So, I mean, yeah. at least he takes it into a more artistic direction than the normal brain insane lyrics. Eh, it might have been best to just turn the volume down on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not only is the vocal like super low in the mix, they also put a low pass filter on it. So it's like real trebly, like an old timey radio or something. Yeah. No, it sounds like it's being played from a very long hallway. Yeah. Know, with the door shut. I have some fun stuff about the next song, Meet the Creeper. Ooh, do tell. So Tommy Lee played the drums on this song. Oh, shit. Yeah. So remember how I told you that the producer of the album, Scott Humphrey, produced that awful late 90s Motley Crue record? Yeah. So he stayed homies with Tommy Lee after and actually produced all of Tommy Lee's non-Motley crew music, including Methods of Mayhem. Which we will get to. Yeah, we're just putting it off as long as possible. (laughs) In Tommy's words, I went to his house after I got out of jail to stay for a while, and I think I was there about a day or two, and they were working on the record downstairs, and Scott and Rob were like, dude, Tommy's upstairs. We should ask him to play. And they asked me to play, and I was like, I would love to play right now. I could really use, you know, just kind of check out, really do some music. So by his house, he means Scott Humphrey's house and recording studio where they were making this album. From an MTV News article dated May 20th, 1998. Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee was sentenced to 100 days in jail Wednesday on a felony spousal abuse charge stemming from an incident early this year involving his estranged wife, former Baywatch star, Pamela Anderson Lee. So the real story here is that he beat up Pamela Anderson and got locked up for a while, and he had no place to go when he got out of jail, so he moved into his friend's recording studio. Holy shit. Yep, and then he recorded drums on Meet the Creeper. Also, I don't know how I'd feel about, like, 
hey, I got his wife beater up on my couch, but he's <laughs> yeah. real good at... This was the 90s, man. It was a different... We all make mistakes, man. Who am the, I to judge? The only thing he beats better than his wife is these drums, so let's get him down here and uh, make a hit record. Well, I mean, we can forgive the man because he's got a python between his legs. <laughs> Seriously, that uh, that is a piece. That guy's working with a piece. <laughs> oh, just wait until you get into the second episode of the Pam oh, and Tommy show. Christ almighty. For Meet the Creeper, our yeah count is uh, 10 yes. Okay. He's phoning in these lyrics so fucking hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like he maybe was a little rushed. Robert, the depth and breadth of your subject matter is a very shallow pool. So, like, put some pride into your pen. Like... <laughs> You know, we've got rabbit eye, the city's cry, like dagger, like a dagger falling on your baby. Thrill the kill, I know you will. Feed the monster and the lady. How does a dagger fall on a baby? You're just sharpening your dagger on top of your... Oh, God, I dropped the dagger on the baby. <laughs> it happened again. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a great, uh, not a great track. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's got some longevity. I mean, I think... This song was like an unofficial third single from the record. It got a little bit of radio yeah. airplay. Whatever. The next song is called The Ballad of Resurrection Joe and Rosa Whore. Here's a fun fact. Walmart refused to carry this album in its original format. So the album, the cover of this album is like a pretty scary picture of Rob Zombie. And there's like a pentacle and he has an X carved into his head and whatever. Yeah, he's going for the strong uh, Charles Manson vibes on that. Yeah, 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 for sure. So they had to cut a bunch of images and all the lyrics from the booklet. They took the X off of Zombie's head. They took the pentacle off and they changed. They took the word whore out of the album title. So now at the Walmart release, it was just called The Ballad of Resurrection Joe and Rosa. And while Rob originally pushed back on these changes, because, you know, nobody wants their art to be censored, he came to, like, kind of a cool conclusion that for a lot of kids in 1998, Walmart was the only place that they could go buy music. How crazy is that? Yeah, but, like, think about it. Like, you know, if you didn't live in, like, a major suburb, there wasn't a mall. If you lived in, like, a rural part of the country, like, now you can go to Dollar General and buy a bunch of, like, Trust Kill and Ferret Records albums from 20 years ago for a dollar for some reason. Uh, but if you wanted current music, like Walmart may have been the only store in your whole town in 1998. It's a shitty compromise, but I'm sure for a lot of kids, yeah, you're right. It was the only only option. So yeah. fuck it. You got to do what you got to do. And uh, Tommy Lee plays drums on this song, too. Of course. Yeah. Now, now he's all warmed up. The The blood has <laughs> come out of his dick and back into his brain. <laughs> he's able to really, really focus. Now, is this Rosa Whore of the New England Whores? Um, <laughs> we summer with them in Transylvania. <laughs> so um, I think this song should have been pushed up on the record. Like, oh, yeah. it's not particularly hooky, but it goes super hard. And I, I honestly, I don't have a lot of memory of this because odds are when I listened to this album in 1999, after Meet the Creeper, I was like, okay, I fucking get it. And then I just put Orgy <laughs> or Corn or something. Yeah, on. right. Uh, no, this is the kind of shit I'm here for. Like, you're, you're right. This song goes so hard. Uh, the programming is dope. And the lyrics, unlike Meet the Creeper, are just absolute bizarre nonsense, which means you know he put his all into this. Yeah. So, like, yeah, the lyrics lead off with insane blues at the Green Man Inn. Cut the lights and pray that you're dead. Opium dreams through the seven dials and feel the pillow over your head. Rachel hides it from Ned the Crow. Keen eyes on the peelers. Experiment from 53 and no scratch for the dealers. 
Like, you know that he was really sitting there like, ah, oh, shit, okay. Keen eye for the peelers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I like it too. I, I like this song a lot. And I'll, I'll probably actually, as soon as we're done recording, just listen to it again because yeah. you know, I had fun. The next song is What Lurks on Channel X. Most of this song is a sample. Yeah, yeah. It's a banger, but it's... Yeah. It's, it sounds like, yeah, they were just fucking around in the studio and playing with loops and uh, samples yeah. and stuff. We're coming near the end here. Um, we have two things left. We have Return of the Phantom Stranger. And I was pretty tired at this point. My only note says, isn't a phantom stranger when you sit on your hand until it falls asleep and then jerk off with it? I have the same note! <laughs> yes, it is! That's... Oh shit, the Phantom Stranger's back. <laughs> I think it's wait, the Phantom is when you sit on your hand, the Stranger is when you use your left hand. So maybe the Phantom Stranger is when you, you sit, sit on, on your, your left, left hand. hand. Your non-dominant hand. Oh god. How could one even jerk off like that? <laughs> I don't know. Just like uh, slap it. <laughs> jerk it off with an oven mitt on. <laughs> of all the songs on this album, this one sounds the most like a Marilyn Manson song. Like yeah. the vocal delivery, the programming, all of it. And it's also a snoozer to close out the last. Yeah, it's a real bummer, man. Like, I don't know. I like a big album close because here's the actual close. This is uh, the beginning of the end. Let me fast forward it a little. It's just horror movie music. Yeah, more like the contractual obligation of the Robert. Yeah, to, uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, yeah, it's, it's a unceremonious close to a classic album. Yeah, I mean, I still think this thing's great. Overall, it's an A for me, but uh, yeah, it, it could have it been even more legendary and... and, and just more of an important album. Like I said, it's the third best White Zombie album, but it's also kind of the departure. It's kind of like the uh, swap yeah. song. Well, what- yeah, because, I mean, I think it's important to note that Rob Zombie went on to do more famous people stuff after this. Like, mm-hmm. he did continue to make music. We're going to talk about his films in a minute, but Robert Zombert went on to create a <laughs> few more albums with ridiculous titles, including The Sinister Urge, Educated Horses, Hellbilly Deluxe 2, Noble Jackals, Penny Dreadfuls, and the Systematic Dehumanization of Cool Venomous Rat Regeneration Vendor. Get it, Rob! We oh, there's get two, it! There's two more. The Electric Warlock Acid Witch Satanic Orgy Celebration Dispenser. And, this, uh, is, this is fucking magnetic fridge poetry at this point. <laughs> it is. It is. And his most recent album uh, is The Lunar Injection Kool-Aid Eclipse Conspiracy. Sure. Sure, why not? Fucking okay. We get you so, know, somehow I just don't know what you're about, Rob. Right, right. So um Rob Zombie's currently probably best known for his film. His House of a Thousand Corpses trilogy is hard to watch, but mostly good. Yeah. Um he got a ton of press for his version of Halloween, while not so much for his version of the sequel. And uh he also directed uh, one episode of CSI Miami for some reason. Really? Yeah. Currently in the works is his big screen adaptation of The Monsters, which uh. Kevin is not excited about. No, he is not. No, he is not. <laughs> I'm going to go. 
I mean, I'm going to go, but for the sake of the pod, I have right, to. Right, right, for sure. Uh, so Rob married Sherry Moon in 2002. He doesn't drink or do drugs and is an ethical vegan who rescues farm animals at a property he owns with his wife in Connecticut. So maybe he's not as fun as he sounds. <laughs> yeah, the, the pirate bar is not getting a lot of uh, yeah, use. Dude, yeah, for real. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Could you imagine just hanging out with him sober? And having to watch, like, space creeps from Planet X. And it's like, God, I wish I was fucking drunk. Like, I just can't with this fucking guy. Right? Oh. He makes you wear, like, goggles and a cool hat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sherry's my. behind you, like, dreadlocking your hair. <laughs> oh, There's my. a guy walking around with, like, a big fucking mask on and no shirt. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You have to eat popcorn out of, like, the, like, the old school. A skull. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. Uh, so did have you ever seen Rob Zombie live? I have not. I've never Ooh, seen I, Rob Zombie live. I can I got you on this one. I've seen him twice. Mm. Um I saw Rob Zombie in 1999 on this tour. Uh he co-headlined this uh with Korn and Video Drone opened. And wow. I remember just being kind of bummed by Korn because like their set was boring compared to Rob Zombie. Cause like Riggs is pouring blood from his guitar and just throwing up on the stage. There's fire everywhere. There's like hot fucking like living dead girls go-go dancing all over. <laughs> and he had like a 40-foot robot that kept walking across the stage shooting fire out of his arms. It was fucking awesome. That's incredible. It's everything I wanted out of a Rob Zombie show. <sighs> um, and then I saw him again five years ago at um, The Joint at the Hard Rock in Las Vegas on Halloween headlining and Danzig was the opener. Wow. Yeah. We timed it perfect. So I only came in to see him play mother and then Rob Zombie came on and I got so blackout drunk that <laughs> I woke up in my friend's hotel room and they pushed me into the hotel room on one of those like luggage carts. They like rolled me in. <laughs> Meanwhile, I fucking lived in Las Vegas. I don't know what happened. Robert we went to would the double down. At, oh, he would not. But after the show, we went to the double down and for any of you crazy lunatics, Ah, uh, that listen to the show. Some of you probably know what the double down is, and that will explain it. Hell yeah. We're not going to get in, into it in this episode, but in my research, I did find another piece of Robert Zombert film lore. In 1997, Rob Zombie wrote a screenplay which has never been filmed, but we do have the entire script. Oh, no. Do you know what it is? No. No, come on. The Crow 2037, A New World of Gods and Monsters. This was supposed to be the third Crow film, and Robert W. Zombie wrote it, and we have the entire script. Oh, my God. We will be getting into this, Nick, and we probably will be reenacting it at some point. <laughs> All right, I do feel like the people that listen to this show probably have a Venn diagram of Rob Zombie and the Crow, so we'll land right in the middle. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Come on. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's bring this thing to a close. Uh, it was nice to get back to our traditional format and actually talk about an album, but we're going to keep you guessing because this is our show, goddammit, and we're going <laughs> to talk about whatever we want to. Yep. What have you been listening to, Kevin? I have been listening to It's Almost Dry by Pusha T. Oh, all right. Yeah, so Pusha T, the uh, 
musical genius behind the da 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 McDonald's and songs about slang and coke. (laughs) Nothing exclusively (laughs) songs about dealing cocaine. Uh, That has not changed on It's Almost Dry. So this just came out. But uh, for those of you who know a little bit about Push, he was part of a duo called Clips with uh, rapper Malice. A bunch of years ago, Malice gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and was reborn under the name No Malice. So that effectively ended the uh, Clips duo. They did get back together on Kanye West's album, Jesus is King, because that was kind of like a good intersection. But Malice officially joined Pusha T on a non-Jesus-related song. And boy, you would not know he's given his life up to Christ, judging from this verse. So I'm going to play you a little bit off the song, I Pray For You, from Pusha T's It's Almost Dry. Tell me what I missed. New designer drugs and emotions I don't get. I don't hell cat, still paddle when I ship Vietnam flashbacks, I get triggered by a sniff Today's top fives only strengthening my myth Belong on Rushmore just from chiseling a brick Still fighting demons, see that curse is now my gift Secrets die with me, that's as deep as the abyss That is no coincidence, when I was in the mix Opened up your nose like I'm cutting it with Vicks Slaving over stoves like I rubbed together sticks Paved another road so my soul will coexist But heaven only knows I will dig another ditch In a suit and tie like you putting on the Ritz Three record deals showed me ignorance was bliss Trying to milk a game that is only 2% X told you hell is hot Trying to milk a game that is only 2% Fuck, talk your shit, Malice Talk your shit God, that that verse is just, he murders it. Yeah, uh, so Super good. Yes, and, and the whole album is like this. I mean, uh, we didn't even get to push his verses, but definitely check out It's Almost Dry. Anyway, that's what I got. What do you got, Nick? Cool. Uh, I uh, finally got around to listening to uh, the new Comeback Kid record, Heavy Steps. Oh, all right. Um, so I'm going to just, I'm going to play maybe a little longer clip than I normally would. Like, okay. let this one go through uh, in, back into the chorus. But I'm just going to start with the breakdown because Comeback Kid is perhaps the greatest band at breakdowns for me. Um, so, yeah, this is Heavy Steps by Comeback Kid off the album, Heavy Steps. <laughs> My apology to those of you that have inevitably ripped the steering wheel off of your car during that breakdown. <laughs> Can Comeback Kid do any wrong? No, like, they're amazing. They've always they been amazing. Are... They continue to be amazing. They're like 40 years old and still touring it like American legions near you. They're God, amazing. They're so good. They're so good. You know what? The weirdest thing, though, is, is have you seen the, the cover of their new album, Heavy Steps? It's like a pretty yeah. sick illustration. They sold that as an NFT, and I was like, Really, guys? So maybe they can do wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, get in while the grifting is good. Yeah, no shit. Make your money. Crypto core. (laughs) 
Uh, anyway, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Days of the New. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Nick underscore the underscore knife. You can find me on Instagram at K-J-D-E-L-U-R-Y. And you cannot find me on Twitter because they didn't have Twitter on the fucking monsters. And that's what matters. <laughs> Days of the New is a production of the Palm Springs 86. You were there. We hope you've enjoyed tonight's Saturday Night Shocker. Join us next week when the horror of nature strikes again. Just when you thought you were safe, it comes back to terrorize you with its unfathomable power and treachery. Vincent Price and Brett Halsey star in The Return of the Fly. Next week's Saturday Night Shocker at 10.30 here on your movie station. KPLR-TV, Channel 11. Ta-da! And now, KPLR-TV, Channel 11 St. Louis presents those fabulous, fantastic, funny Three Stooges. Moses. <laughs> <laughs>